All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments notice. It only... Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 94 of the Canucks Conversation, as we are getting set for the Canucks actual playoff series now. Uh, 
Canucks Conversation is brought to you by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing. My name is Chris Faber, and I might as well bring in my co-host now, David Quadrelli. Quads, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. It's always 94 on this show. <laughs> it is. It's uh, it's a solid episode. A good number. And last year was my birth year, or last week was my birth year, 93, 94. It feels like we're, uh, we're inching towards that big episode 100 as well. Oh man, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, you and I have been for the past few months now been putting together our top moments in Canucks combo history, and we're gonna do a little, you know, TSN ten forty top forty moments countdown. But we're gonna do a Canucks combo top twenty moments countdown, and I'm very excited for that. Yeah, we'll see if we get to twenty. It might only end up being ten. We'll see. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of work to go through before we get back to that. But this uh, is true. I'm excited for this episode. I'm also uh, I'm also very prepared for this. I had just had three coffees uh, at IHOP. Uh, as I had a little bit of a late brunch to kind of prepare myself for this full day of hockey, uh, that I'll be watching hockey from nonstop because it's Tuesday today. Uh, the playoffs actually start today, so that's been a lot of fun. But I wanted to ask you, Quads, when's the last time you've been to an IHOP? Because for me, it's it was probably 10 years, uh, and I forgot. IHOP's pretty delicious food, man. Well, I mean, it's cheap. I don't mind IHOP. I think I was there two months ago. I actually... I don't think I've gone more than like two years without going to IHOP. Maybe even a year. I think I go there because there's one pretty close to my house. So I go there like decent amount of times. But the place that I really like is the Dutch. That's my favorite. And again, there was one by my house. Closed down. Makes me sad. So we've had to change to White Spot, which kind of upsets me. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's tough. I, I don't mind White Spot either. But the Dutch, man, you get the hash and you put a little syrup in there. Oh, so good. Yeah, you were telling me uh, before we started recording that there's a special one, uh, and you had to write a letter to the Dutch. You were mad that they didn't open up. I wasn't mad. I just, you know, I was, I was trying to explain to them that there was support for this location, and you know, I, I would love to see what data they have that maybe they justified not reopening, or if there was a lease or anything. So I just said, you know, you know, the the community really likes this location. It'd be great if you reopened it because the closest one is pretty far. So it'd be nice if you reopened this location. I understand COVID, blah, blah, blah. Sent them a whole uh, email and mm. did not hear back. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to show them that there was some support for that location that I would I would really appreciate if they reopened it. So for those who don't know, uh, obviously my last name, Faber, uh, is a Dutch name. I've never been to a de Dutch. Uh, I've never tried a panna cooking. Uh, so I think I really need to get out and do that because I'm letting my last name down a little bit. Isn't it pronounced panacoic or panic panic? Pan- Panico, Panicooking? Is there an extra K E N there? I don't know. I, I've hear I hear the commercials on. They used to have them on T S N ten forty. I could have sworn they said Panicooking. Really? Well, wow. I don't know. I could be very I, wrong here. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, anyway. I, anyways, at IHOP, I had a creme brulee pancake. It was delicious. Oh, nice. I've actually seen a few people get that. That's not my cup of tea. I'm I'm a straight quick two egg breakfast. Give me a piece of toast on the side, and I'm ready to go. Oh man, I had a I had fried chicken. Sausage, eggs, oh. hash browns, creme brulee. It was good, man. I, uh, I'm i very full right now. I had three coffees at uh, at breakfast as well because, you know, you got to get your money's worth on the refills. So you're paying three fifty for a coffee. I mean, you got to make sure you have, like, at least three of them because they're just those little cups. How are you alive? You just ate so much food. Yeah, but quads, I'm three times the weight of you and twice the height of you, so I can take a this quite a true. bit of a quite a this bit of coffees true. for sure. But uh, yeah, we're not here to talk about food so much because we have a lot of hockey coming up right now, uh, and the Canucks are going to be playing against the St. Louis Blues in a best of seven series, a playoff series, not only a postseason series anymore. Uh, how excited are you as we're kind of 24 hours away here from from seeing what's going to go down for Game One? 
Very excited. I think this is going to be a big series for Elias Pettersson and, you know, the lotto line as a whole, as you just wrote. You you know, you teach me half this stuff because I edit your work and you wrote about the lotto line and how much success they have against the Blues. Like, you know, we take a look at what Brock Besser did in the Minnesota Wild series and, you know, Elias Pettersson right from game one looking like an absolute force out there. You put that all together against a team that they've had success against in the past and really, you know, I'm I'm really thinking that the lot of lines really going to burst onto the scene here and really like solidify themselves as you know one of the best lines in the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. And and the only thing that kind of scared me a little bit because I think that the matchup line that we're expecting to see against the Pedersen line is the Ryan O'Reilly line, right? It's going to be David Perron, it's going to be Zach Sanford, it's going to be Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, that's what they went with throughout the season. But like I mentioned and wrote in that article. Um, the, the lotto line dominated that line when they played against them. I mean, you saw what Ryan O'Reilly did to the Vancouver Canucks. There was one game that Ryan O'Reilly's line had 24 shot attempts for and five against. Uh, that was the one that they didn't play against the Pedersen line. So obviously that line had a lot of success when they're away from the lotto line. So that'll be a big matchup, I think, is seeing what the Horvat versus O'Reilly matchup's going to be because, man, O'Reilly was was nuts last year in the playoffs. He saw oh, what he did. Absolutely. Obviously the Conn Smythe winner uh, for good reason. He was incredible throughout the year. Um, I think that you know he's the type of player that does take his game to the next level when you get to the playoffs. And I think Horvat's going to have to match that because that's the line that I see matching up against each other here. And I think that the lotto line is going to dominate for the Vancouver Canucks. I'm guessing that they're going to go up against the Braden Shen line quite a bit. Uh, which, which another interesting thing is in that article I wrote, you know, the Blues didn't have Vladimir Tarasenko for a huge portion of the season. They had him for their first 10 games, uh, but then Vladimir Tarasenko's gone for the year and now he's back. So that's going to be a huge change as well. We might see that line kind of going head to head against the Pedersen line. Like it could be Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen and Tarasenko going up against the lotto line. And I think that's going to be a great matchup. I think the Canucks win that matchup, but then that puts a lot of pressure on the second lines matching up. And that's going to be the O'Reilly line versus the Horvat line. Uh, does that scare you a little bit with that matchup that the Canucks have? You know what? I think it does. And I think, you know, Horvat played pretty well in that series. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that really don't like Bo Horvat. It seems like I see them on Twitter. They're always in my mentions. Um, but I thought he played pretty well for the most part. And I, you know, it's crazy that we're talking about this, but I, I had the bold take in the Monday mailbag this week and I got a lot of flack for it. Like, I think Louis Erickson's going to be on that second line going into this series. Like, even if Toffoli's healthy, I think Toffoli's going to be on the third line for game one. I think all eyes are going to be on Erickson. And if he has one bad game, especially in that first game, like Green's not going to hesitate to take him off that line. But again, I think, you know, even if Toffoli's healthy, I think you don't break up the lotto line, especially given their success against the Blues in the past. And I don't think you take Erickson off, given how well he played in that series. And again, like now there's a healthy Adam Gaudet. Like, where does he slide in? Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to see how they want to match up because it's a different team that they're playing now, right? The Minnesota Wild is a, a very different team from uh, from the St. Louis Blues. The St. Louis Blues are going to get on you on the four-check harder. They're going to be a little bit more physical than we probably saw from Minnesota. Uh, like, they have the same type of body type of players, I guess. Like, they have some big bodies. Minnesota might actually have been bigger as well, if you kind of look at just, like, size and weight. But... I think that the way that the St. Louis Blues team is going to play is so aggressive. And I mean, they were one of the best teams in the West for a reason. They're defending, defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, they play a, a great game. I mean, from top to bottom, their defense is excellent. Uh, their top four is very strong. Uh, I think they move the puck and can all score goals pretty well with, with any of the teams. And I mean, they're up there in the top of the league for some of the best defense core, I'd have to say. Um, but I think the forward group, you know, I, 
I would be looking at the Minnesota bottom six and saying maybe that was a better bottom six than what I see on the St. Louis Blues roster from just looking at the names that I see here. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, there's a lot of uncertainty around the bottom six with the Blues. Like, you know, they've got they've got some names, they do, but I don't know. Like, the Canucks bottom six isn't anything to write home about. That's what I'm looking at here. And I mean, I don't know if it got published because I've, I've been editing so much lately, but Jason Judy just had a pretty good article for uh, Canucks Army. And he he was comparing what the what the Canucks bottom six did in each game, and he looked at each performance they had, and I think a big part of the Canucks bottom six actually ended up being Brandon Sutter in that mm-hmm. series, and that's something I never thought I'd say, but he was he was a factor in that Minnesota series, and you know this is what you get when you have Brandon Sutter healthy, and obviously it doesn't justify his contract. I've said this before, and I don't know why I keep needing to repeat it, but I see people taking victory laps over Sutter and Louis Erickson <laughs> playing well, but no, this does not justify their contracts at all like if these guys were getting paid what their actual value was and performing like this that's fantastic but they're not it's still so far off from what they're actually being paid to what they're actually producing that being said there's no sense crying over spilled milk so let's just look at what we have and I think when you look at what the Canucks have in that bottom six like they have a pretty good third line that gets a lot better when you add Tyler Toffoli to it right and I think that's something that they're going to look at and then again I again I'll say it again like where does Adam Gaudet slide in when he's healthy, right? Do you take Jake Vertanen out? Zach McEwen only played like five minutes in game four against the Wild. Does he come out? I think that's who I'm thinking is going to be the the guy that comes out. But again, do you want that bigger body? Like, I think it actually helps Vertanen's case that he ended up fighting Ryan Hartman, you know, because there was that moment, and I found this pretty interesting. After PD got run by Hartman, which was just the stupidest play I've ever seen in my life. It could have actually like really hurt Pedersen. Right after that, Patterson's skating by the Canucks bench and Jake Vertanen's sitting there and he says, hey, and then he says to Petey, you can read his lips, he says, hey, F that guy and like shakes his head kind of like forget about that, like screw that, like let just keep keep focusing, keep focusing on what you need to do. And then what does Jake do the next game? He goes out and fights Ryan Hartman, right? And, you know, he's, he's being that, he's trying to be that spark plug, right? Because, you know, it's well documented that Travis Green doesn't really trust Jake to play big minutes, he doesn't trust him to play away from the puck. Sure, that's all fine, but... He make he has that fight, and then he's turning to the Canucks bench, and he's getting them hype. He's saying like, "Let's go, let's go!" And sure enough, the Canucks come back and win. And I mean, I think at that point when the fight happened, it was still either one nothing or zero zero. But the point remains: Jake Vertan showed in that series to the coaching staff that hey, I might not be able to be useful in all the ways that you'd like me to, but I can be useful at certain points in the playoffs. And that was just an example of that. So I mean. You know, is he the guy that comes out? We know Zach McEwen can also throw his weight around. He can fight when he needs to. But again, like, does that help Jake Vertanen's case to stay in the lineup? That he has more offensive power than Zach McEwen does, and he also is able to bring that to the table in terms of, you know, sticking up for his teammates, fighting, going after the guy who everybody, every Canucks fan seems to absolutely hate during the series. And I mean, I think next series it's going to be Jordan Bennington, so they might have to enlist the help of uh, Louis, who now runs goaltenders for whatever reason. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the bottom six plays out. Again, you're right. Like, I think the Canucks do have the advantage in the bottom six against the Blues. But, you know, it all depends on what are you going to get from Brandon Sutter? Is he going to be able to repeat that performance that he did against the Wild? I say he does it. But, again, you'd never know, right? I think that what you're going to have to see now with the bottom six is it's kind of like the opposite of what we saw uh, going into the Wild Series because everyone was talking about, are you going to have the right penalty killers? Are you going to have enough penalty killers? The fourth line needs to be all penalty killers. But now, 
you're going to want to have some offense coming from that group as well. And I think that that's something that we might see with Zach McEwen coming out of the lineup because you're going to want to have Jake there. And if Toffoli is healthy, that's a huge boost to the second power play unit. You know, whether they're going to keep Brock Besser on the first unit or move him back to the second one. I talked about it a little bit on the last episode, how I think Adam Gaudette needs to come in the lineup to help the power play. But as a whole, Tyler Toffoli's more impactful in the lineup than Adam Gaudette. Even though Gaudette's been excellent on the power play, I mean, if you bring Toffoli in, whether he's playing on the first unit or if he's going to drop down and play on the second unit, that's going to be huge for Vertanen as well because Vertanen might stick in the lineup as a fourth-line guy to play on the right side of the power play, and then you'll have Toffoli on the left side or Brock Besser on the left side of the power play. That makes that group a lot better. You know, you don't have to worry about having a Brandon Sutter out there or an Antoine Roussel out there anymore because that second power play unit just looks like trash. You know, without Adam Gaudet on there or without a Brock Besser or without a Tyler Toffoli, the second unit just looks horrible. Like, they didn't perform anything. They didn't do anything in the Wild Series. They barely gained the zone at times. Like, we saw the first unit out there for a lot. Uh, and I do want to talk about power play units a little bit later because the St. Louis Blues have a really good one of their own as well but just as we're kind of talking about the bottom six now for the Vancouver Canucks what's the ideal shape for you or not even your ideal what do you think we're going to see uh, on Wednesday night for the bottom six okay in order this is what my lines look like from the third third and fourth line on the left you know it's going to be Roussel. We know Roussel is going to be on that third line. There's no way he's getting taken off it. I'll say Brandon Sutter as well. I say there's no way for him to be taken off it. But like Louis Erickson being in the top six, I think all eyes are going to be on Sutter. And if he has a bad game or you know doesn't look like he's performing to what he was against the Wild, I don't think Green's going to hesitate in giving Goddard another crack at the lineup. Again, that third line in that first game, people have to remember, that line was unplayable, right? Like, Green could not play that line. He just couldn't. They were legitimately so bad in all areas of the ice. And what was it? I think it was Roussel, Gaudette, Furland was that line. And they were unplayable, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you want you want that third line to feast on weak matchups, right? Like, that's the point of that third line. You want them to be like a second scoring line. So if they're unplayable with Gaudette on there, like, Gaudette didn't have a great game at all. Like, Gaudette played poorly. And I know a lot of Canucks did in that game. But... You take him out and, you know, you put Brandon Sutter in and all of a sudden Sutter's performing better. Like, you know, unprecedented times. It's 2020, right? But still, like, you're just kind of, I guess, I don't want to use the word surprise, but you're surprised at what Brandon Sutter's been able to do. So I'll say that in game one, he's on that lineup uh, and then it's going to be... Toffoli on the third line again on his wing right like that's that's the change I think they make I don't I stand by it I don't think that Travis Green wants to take Louis Erickson off that second line just because of how well they performed it I mean you know if it ain't broke don't fix it but also you have to not be not be afraid to upgrade sometimes so personally I think I would put Toffoli on that second line just give it a little more offensive firepower and again I still want to see Pearson and Toffoli play together I don't think you're gonna break up the lotto line but again what do I think Green is gonna do I think he's going to put Toffoli on the third line. Now, the fourth line, it, again, you already know it's going to be Mott and Beagle. Tyler Mott was a penalty-killing machine in that series against the Wild. You know, skating around in the offensive zone, just like ragging the puck. Like, he looks great on the penalty kill, and he's pl- he's had a great series against the Wild. I think, you know, he's really proving that, yeah, he can be, an, he can be a force in the postseason, and he can be somebody that the Canucks really find useful in all areas of the ice. And I mean, you want that on your team, right? Like Tyler Mott is the ideal fourth liner. He's paid like one and he plays exactly how you want your fourth liners to play, right? Then you've got Beagle. Obviously he's not coming out. And then the right side, this is where it gets interesting for me. 
it's between Vertanen and Gaudet for me. We've seen Gaudet play on the right wing sometimes. You know, personally, I think Vertanen's probably the better choice. I think, you know, he's just a faster skater. I think he's played with Beagle before. Again, that's pretty unprecedented territory for Gaudet. So, you know, who do you go with? I think it's going to be Vertanen personally, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But as for the bottom six, like, that's what I think it's going to look like in game one. Hmm. I think that... Green would have to look at that fourth line if he, you know, if Jake Vertanen slouches at all or, you know, misses a step, doesn't play a good game and is just not impactful at all. I think that, you know, Travis Green doesn't hesitate to throw Zach McEwen right into that lineup. I mean, it's something that he's talked about quite a bit, you know, that coming into this series, I know they lost Michael Furlan, but they had 15 forwards that they were comfortable playing with, right? Now they have 14, uh, but there's definitely still some options that they can go with. And I think that. I think Zach McEwen hops into a fourth line before Adam Gaudet, but I think Adam Gaudet hops into a third line before Zach McEwen. So um, that's an interesting situation with those guys because you're going to look at what they can bring aside from the five-on-five minutes because fourth lines just aren't going to play a lot. Like, they're not going to play as much as they normally do uh, in the playoffs here. So we'll have to see what they can bring on the special teams. That's why Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle are so impactful in this lineup because they're just great penalty killers, right? I mean, they're going to need to be good. Um, and we might as well dive into a little bit here. I mean, the St. Louis Blues have a really good power play. It's something that we haven't really talked about a lot going up into this series, but, you know, they're, they scored 50 goals in 71 games this year. Uh, the Canucks scored 56 and 69, which is a nice amount of goals for themselves. But, I mean, the, the St. Louis Blues scored at a higher percentage. The Canucks got almost, I think, just over a minute more per power play time per game. So, I mean, the Canucks got a lot of power play opportunities. I think the St. Louis Blues only had 200 opportunities or somewhere just above that. And then they scored uh, they scored the 50 goals. So, I mean, they're scoring at about 24%. They score at a higher percentage than the Canucks do. Um, they also score more goals per 60 minutes on the power play than the Canucks do. So, this St. Louis Blues power play is, is nothing to just kind of, you know, throw to the side because it doesn't have... You know, they didn't have Tarasenko all year long. They don't really have an absolute star on that power play unit, but a lot of it runs through David Perron. A lot of it runs through Alex Petriangelo, and a lot of it runs through Brady Shen. Then they have the double screen set up uh, with Ryan O'Reilly and Jaden Schwartz. Those two are just... You watch the shots that come from Petrangelo, and those two guys are always there in goaltenders' faces, and they're really good at getting rebounds. The one thing that I kept seeing with the power play unit was you're going to watch Braden Shen. He's either going to be on the left or right side, depending on what happens with Tarasenko, if Tarasenko hops into that first unit. But the thing that you'll see is the guy on the right half wall is going to take a shot, and he takes a lot of shots for rebounds. Like, he'll send them down low off of a goaltender's pads, trying to create a rebound because you have Jaden Swartz, who has a quick stick. You have Ryan O'Reilly, who has a quick stick, and those two guys are going to be in the front of the net. But then you'll watch that guy on the left half wall, and he is driving directly at the net as soon as he sees a shot coming. So they get a lot of rebound goals. Uh, they just kind of work well as a unit. Like, it seems like that group of five guys is has some great chemistry together, and I think that's what's been able to bring a lot of success to that St. Louis Blues power play. And, and yeah, it's kind of scary to think that, you know, we've seen the Canucks power play be so incredible all year long. The St. Louis Blues have have better numbers. If you look at it, how many power plays they got, they didn't score as many goals as the Canucks, but that's because the Canucks drew a ridiculous amount of penalties this year. So the St. Louis Blues power play, man, it, it's something that we should be worried about a little bit in this series. Here's the thing. Not only have the Canucks penalty killers had a very very large like a huge chance to fine-tune what their system's gonna look like and figure out how they're gonna kill penalties because I don't know if you remember this 
they just took a bunch of penalties in that series against the Wild. Like, it was ridiculous how many times they put the Wild to the power play, and vice versa, right? Like, the Canucks power play, they had so many opportunities in that series, and, you know, the Canucks really just need to play their system against the against the Blues with the penalty killers, right? Like, they need to play responsibly at 5-on-5, five five, try not to take penalties, and I mean, I think, you know, Tyler Myers has been playing physical, but... He's also been taking some penalties where it was kind of questionable calls, but then you're like, okay, also you're six foot eight, you're seven feet tall on skates. Maybe don't put your arm in dudes' faces when they're away from the puck. Maybe just keep that in mind going forward. So, I mean, you know, hopefully Tyler Myers and the rest of the Canucks can clean it up when it comes to getting into the box, but I'm not really worried. Like, you know, the, the power play in St. Louis is great, but the penalty kill has looked good and they've had a lot of chances to fine tune it and get ready to go. And I mean, you know, again, like this all goes back to are the teams that were in the round robin going to have a disadvantage against the qualifying teams, right? Like Mm. the Canucks just played an intense five game series. St. Louis has yet to win a game since the return to play. Like, I don't know if they won their exhibition game, but they haven't won any of their round robin games and they look like a team that just wants to go home. And I was actually talking to Taj about this recently, actually this morning, and he he made a good point. Like he's like, we're going to find out in game one, what kind of Minnesota, Minnesota, what kind of St. Louis Blues team we're getting? Are we getting the defending champions or are we getting guys who just want to go home and just get the hell out of here? I'm thinking we're going to see them put in a good effort. But I th- honestly, man, I think game one is going to go to the Canucks. Like, that's that's my bold prediction is that game one is going to go to the Canucks just because they're so fired up right after that Chris Tanev win. Like, man, I, you, you, I haven't seen a Canucks celebration like that in the locker room in a long time. And even on the ice, like, that shot of Green with his fist in the air, just the F yeah, when you read his lips, it was just... I haven't seen that in such a long time, right? And I just think there's so much momentum the Canucks way, and there's really nothing on the on the side of the Blues. So I mean, it's going to be by committee for the Blues to pull out a win in Game One there. But I think the Canucks are going to have an early advantage in this series because of that. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that coming off of the emotional high that they're on, and coming off the emotional low that the St. Louis Blues are, I mean, the only thing is like the St. Louis Blues are Stanley Cup champions. They know how to turn it on and go and go on a playoff run. So I wouldn't be saying that they're going to show up and not be a good team. Like, they're going to show up and be a great team. I think they're going to be ready to play. Uh, and the final thing I just wanted to wrap up with the power play, uh, I don't know how much it means now since we're, you know, past COVID, we had months off, but the Canucks killed off 12 penalties that they took in the three games against the St. Louis Blues without allowing one goal. So they had a really good record uh, against the St. Louis Blues. Brandon Sutter actually had more high danger shot attempts shorthanded than the St. Louis blues had against Brandon Sutter when he was killing penalties. So he was excellent (laughs) against the St. Louis blues uh, when he was on the penalty kill. But yeah, I mean, you look at this lineup for the St. Louis blues, they are, they are deep, right? They're a team that's like, they don't really have the top end talent Uh, aside from Vladimir Tarasenko. Like, you know, Perron's a pretty good scorer. Shen's a pretty good scorer. Schwartz is a pretty good scorer. But I still think the Canucks have the better three scorers, you know, in Pedersen, JT Miller, and Brock Besser. And those line, that line of the lotto line, you're going to have to play the wheels off that line. You know, like you're going to have to have that line out there for 20 minutes. Uh, you know, not at five on five, but like including the power play time, those three guys are going to have to be well over 20 minutes, I think. And I do think the Horvat line might have to be somewhere up around 20 minutes as well because 
if you can get your top six going up against other teams' top sixes for a majority of the five-on-five play, that's how the Canucks are going to win games. Their top six is strong. Even with Louis Erickson in the goddamn top six. Like, it's pretty strong. Yes. They're going to have to ride with that. They're going to have to have good games for Markstrom. And I think that's going to be a huge question in game one is what's Markstrom's bounce back going to be? Because we saw him uh, in the post game after the Canucks won the series. I thought it was pretty funny. They asked Markstrom about his game. And what he's what does he say? He's like, you know what? We scored more goals than the other team today. Uh, he gave a lot yeah. of props to his team. Um, and I think Markstrom knows that he needs to be better than that, right? And I'm sure that he's oh, working man. his ass off to come back here because the Canucks are going to need Jacob Markstrom to be, you know, as good as he was during the season, if not better, you know, for them to make a decent playoff run. So that's going to be my big question going into game one is what are we going to see from Jacob Markstrom in this series? See, so when people start stressing out about Jacob Markstrom, which they were rightfully so in game four there, like people were, you know, oh, is Markstrom getting fatigued? And yeah, he was coming off a back-to-back. He's playing a back-to-back in the playoffs. These are not easy games by any stretch for anybody on the ice, especially a goaltender. So I defer to Kevin Woodley, goaltending guru. And he made a really good point. Like those goals Markstrom was letting in, like, I think it was, I think it, I think it was a clear sight goal and Markstrom hadn't allowed any of those during the regular season not one okay and he let in two I think on that game I'd have to check what Woodley was saying but Kevin Woodley made a really good point like those goals that Markstrom let in those are typically like fundamental things that Markstrom has cleaned up with the help of Ian Clark right and Ian Clark's in the bubble with them like of course he is and he's working with Markstrom on cleaning that up right so I think Markstrom's gonna be not only is he gonna be ready to go against St. Louis I think we're gonna see Markstrom be better than we've seen him all season in this series Mm. I think he's only gonna get better like I'm not worried about Markstrom at all right and I mean Again, I I always defer to Kevin Woodley for this stuff. When people were saying, man, Markstrom lets in five goals in a scrimmage at training camp, what, like, is he going to be okay? I defer to Kevin Woodley. He says, no, like, Ian Clark is going to be coaching him. He's going to be just fine. Like, Ian Clark has systems in place to fix this kind of stuff, and they trust Ian Clark to fix this, and they trust Jacob Markstrom to work with Ian Clark to fix this. And, you know, it all, to me, it all goes back to Ian Clark. Like, he is the best goalie coach in the league. Like Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom have both said it. And, you know, maybe they're a little biased because he's their current coach, but you've heard this from other people, right? Like he's a very well-regarded goalie coach around the league. And I mean, he got extended, which is great. He was supposed to be a free agent at the end of this season, but he did get extended. So he his contract runs out at the end of next year. But that's something I think people should be keeping an eye on. Like, you know, if you have a goalie coach that's able to do this with you, right? And you look at what he did in Columbus and... I've heard whispers that Ian Clark was a big part of the uh, amateur scouting actually in Columbus and, you know, finding guys like Merzlikens and, you know, explaining, yes, you can trust Jonas Corposalo to become an elite goaltender one day. And you, maybe you don't have to fork out 10 million on Sergei Bobrovsky. Like obviously that was before he left, but you know, him being a part of that. And you hear this with the Canucks too, right? Like the Archer Silov's pick that was like, Ian Clark was in on that. I think. I've, yeah, I've been yeah. hearing that. Yeah. And I think I read that somewhere too. I think it's documented. I don't even think this is like whisper stuff. I heard the stuff about Columbus. I've heard that. And then I think I read that about uh, Silovs being a, being a person that Ian Clark was pretty high on. And I think, what did they take him? Sixth round with one of their three six round picks. And, you know, he's playing with the Barry Colts, but this is another guy. They signed him to an ELC already. And this is another guy where you're kind of like, wow, okay, like the Canucks have some depth at the goaltending position. If you can keep this guy around... Clark, that is, 
he can work with these guys. And all of a sudden, you can be looking in a situation like Columbus where you have a bunch of goaltenders. You know, in Columbus, nobody can pronounce their names properly because of all of the consonants in their names. Uh, it's pretty crazy, actually, reading some of these guys' names. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you're looking at great goaltending depth, right? And you're being comfortable in a playoff series too. Yeah, you know what? We're down 3 nothing. Let's put in our backup, and he's going to go out and steal a game, right? Like... You start him the next game. Merzlikens does great in that game for Columbus. And I mean, you just, I don't know. Like, I think I'm kind of going off topic a bit here. But my point is, Ian Clark's a really good goaltending coach. And he's somebody (laughs) you definitely want to keep around. And, you know, that's why I'm confident that Markstrom's going to be just fine heading into this series. I think Clark's worked with him a lot on the psychological side of the game, too. And I mean, you know. I, I don't worry at all that Markstrom was getting rattled by that game, right? Like, especially given the fact that they won in overtime, right? And I mean, Markstrom's got a good sense of humor. You saw it in that post game, like him laughing and saying, yeah, I, I just want to thank my teammates for scoring more goals than they did or than I let in. It was just, uh, I loved his answer. It was, it was hilarious. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you know what? Thatcher Demko had a really good game uh, against the St. Louis Blues this year, allowing one goal and something like 34 shots. So, uh, maybe that is a sneaky trick that we see, uh, down the road here. But I, I do, I do expect to see Markstrom come out pretty good. You sound pretty damn confident in here, uh, quads, but I got a question for you. Who would be more important to the Vancouver Canucks? Judd Brackett or Ian Clark? Uh, I that that's a really tough one because Judd Brackett's not only is Judd Brackett gone now, um, but you know, like when you're turning a corner, right? Like if you asked me this question two years ago, excuse me, when the Canucks were still tanking or they should have been, um, you know, the answer is undoubtedly Judd Brackett. They've got a ton of draft picks. You need this. You you want your you want your farm to still be good, right? But Here's the thing. The scouting department right now still has people that worked under Judd Brackett. And Judd Brackett has a philosophy when it comes to drafting. And I'm sure he shared that philosophy with those people in that scouting department. So it's not like once Judd Brackett left, the Canucks all of a sudden, their scouting department is just an absolute tire fire. Like, we'll have to wait and see. That very well could be the case. But, you know, from what I've heard, there's there's some pretty smart people in that scouting department. I think, you know, sometimes people undersell that. But... When, you, when you're asking me now who's more important, is it the scouting department or the goaltending coach that's able to turn Markstrom into a Vesna-caliber goaltender after some very tough years for Jacob Markstrom, no doubt. And you hear guys like DiPietro come up and be like, I got to work with Ian Clark for five days and it was so valuable for me, right? Like you hear right. that from DiPietro and you hear that from just guys going to training camp. Like I'm going to say it's Ian Clark. I'd say Ian Clark's more important to the organization right now than the head of scouting it would be. That's yeah. just and there my was take even- on it. There was even the time uh, in Utica this year when right before DiPietro became the starter, um, and this is when Bachman was still there, and it was Bachman and McIntyre. Um, they were playing. They played a full weekend series, and and Mikey DiPietro went to work with Ian Clark for a full weekend uh, in Utica. Clark went out to Utica, worked with DiPietro, and pretty much a week and maybe a week and a half after that, I think Bachman went and left to Sweden. Um, and then the, it was pretty much DiPietro's job from there. Like, he had this one weekend session uh, with Ian Clark, and he came out of it just as the starter somehow in Utica. So uh, <laughs> I do agree with you at the point where the Canucks are at right now. Ian Clark is uh, probably more important to this organization. But uh, we're going to head to break now. We're just going to throw to a couple of quick ads for our sponsors. Uh, Quads, you sound pretty confident, I think, about the Canucks in Game 1, but I do want to talk a little bit 
about Quinn Hughes and his struggles against the St. Louis Blues this year. So we'll get into that after the break. And we are also going to talk about Nikita Triamkin a little bit because he played a heck of a game in his KHL preseason action. So we will get into that on the other side, but let's throw to a couple of quick ads here. And before we go any further, I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks conversation. That's right. You know what it is. Parallel 49 Brewing. You check out their newest beer, the Space Kitty, which is a hazy double IPA. It is a strong one with nitrogen infused into it. That is a crazy sounding beer. The Space Kitty, a double IPA, a 7.8% beer. That one is for sure to give you a kick in the pants and a perfect beer for game night while you're watching the Canucks compete in some playoff action. And if you wanted to check them out in their East Van location, you head on down to 1950 Triumph Street and go sample all of their beers there. 1950 Triumph Street. That is where you can find them. Parallel 40 beer follow them on their instagram at parallel 49 beer check them out on twitter as well with the same handle at parallel 49 beer zephyr epic is canada's source for sports cards and trading card games they ship free anywhere in canada on orders over 50 dollars. and now join them for thursday night breaks at 5 p.m pacific time every thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience purchase your spot on zephyrepic.com and watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash zephyrepic and for all you canucks conversation podcast listeners you can save five dollars off your purchase with the code canucks convo some restrictions apply follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways search z-e-p-h-y-r epic on instagram facebook and twitter all right, and a big shout-out to our two sponsors, Zephyr Epic, with a giveaway going on right now. Check that out on their Instagram for that. They're giving away three of the Series 1 tins. You can go Hughes hunting all on your own. Make sure you tag us, though. Uh, you got to tag a friend on Instagram. Tag at Canucks Convo because uh, though we don't use our Instagram often, we do have an Instagram. So uh, tag us if you're looking for a friend and you don't want to embarrass one of your other friends by tagging them in a, a post about hockey cards. Tag us. We're your friends, too. Um, and a shout-out to Parallel as well. Some good beers going on in the summertime right now. Uh, quads, I want to talk a little bit about Quinn Hughes. Um, obviously had an incredible first series against the Minnesota Wild. Games two, three, and four were just unreal. Like seriously, what he did in game four was epic. Like that's the only word I can think, uh, to use in that situation. It seemed like he played almost every single shift. He was running the play, uh, behind the enemy goaltender. Like it was unreal to see what he did in that final game. The only thing that scares me a little bit is what this St. Louis Blues team is able to do to defensemen. Um, we saw them run through a lot of teams last year in the playoffs. What they did to Dallas was, you know, pretty much just disrupted every single defenseman, injured a bunch of their defensemen. Similar situation with the San Jose Sharks, too. I mean, what they did to that team in the Western Conference Finals is, you know, they, they just destroyed. Their their forecheck was strong. They destroyed every defenseman. They just wore them down as all those series went on. Um, and by the way, last playoffs, I kind of forgot that the San Jose Sharks beat the Colorado Avalanche to get to the Western Conference Finals. Do you remember that at all? Because I kind of just slipped my mind a little bit. I remember only because John Shorthouse called Game 6, mm. and I watched that game because right. John Shorthouse was on the call. <laughs> yeah, we're missing him big time in, uh, oh, absolutely. in these playoffs. And like I said last week on the show... Um, I don't know what I'm going to do if I hear Louis DeBrusque just lose his mind over how tall Tyler Myers is. Wait till he Big sees Tyler Colton. Myers. Colton, like he's going to have Colton Perinko on the ice and Tyler Myers on the ice and Louis, Louis DeBrusque is just going to collapse from excitement. But uh, 
yeah, so I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot of the St. Louis Blues team getting in on the rush, getting in on Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes had three of his worst games uh, this year against the St. Louis Blues. One of them specifically, uh, possibly his worst game of the year for possession numbers. At a 30% Corsi, um, the expected goals against were very high. Um, He let up a pretty bad goal. I included that in an article that's coming up here for the Vancouver, uh, for Canucks Army. Um, Does it worry you at all that the St. Louis Blues team knows how to disrupt defensemen, uh, especially a guy like Quinn Hughes, who is a smaller body defenseman? No, it doesn't, and I'll tell you why. So, I try not to overanalyze the season series too much, and I know, you know, it's important that we look at it. It's not, you know, it's it's just foolish to simply say, oh yeah, you know, it's it's all going to be fine, like the Canucks played so well in that play-in series, it's going to be fine, that was five months ago when they played the Blues. But no, that's, really, that's the only precedent we have of what the Canucks can do against the St. Louis Blues. Now, that being said, I know Quinn Hughes has had the five months he used it to get stronger. That's been evident right away. He's become faster. He's really confident right now. His confidence is at an all-time high, right? And I mean, we're going to talk about the third pairing soon and kind of how that affects Quinn Hughes, but he's logging big minutes for the Canucks. He's playing. He looks like he's all over the ice. Every time it looks like when you look up at the screen, it looks like Quinn Hughes is on the ice and he's being an impact. He's being a difference maker. So, when I look at what Quinn Hughes is going to be able to do, and yeah, you're right, like the the Blues are a good team. They're going to be able to disrupt Hughes at certain points. Then again, I also look at what Hughes did against the Wild, and I say, if he can be half as good as what he was against the Wild, the Canucks will be more than happy. Like, Hughes was dominant in that series, right? And, you know, Pedersen looked like he was on the cusp of dominance, right? And you look at what Pedersen's down against the Blues, and all of a sudden you're looking at, sure, maybe Quinn Hughes takes a step back, but then the Canucks with their now this depth that they have overpowered the Blues, right? And I mean, again, to Foley on a third scoring line, like, I'm really, I'm just not worried about this matchup, really. Like, the Blues are going to be good. I'm not saying that it's going to be a cakewalk for the Canucks, but I'm I'm pretty confident with the Canucks going into this series. I really am. And I think, you know, a lot of that confidence comes from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. The only thing that worries me a little bit is just seeing that that team was able to disrupt him in the regular season. You know, there was something that worked with that forecheck that disrupted Quinn Hughes. And I, I wonder if they're putting a specific player on him. I know that the O'Reilly line had really good numbers against Quinn Hughes, like absolutely dominated Quinn Hughes. Uh, they played against each other, I think, 14 minutes of five on five. Quinn Hughes' Corsi percentage in those 14 minutes was 20%. 22%, I think, against the O'Reilly line. So O'Reilly's probably going to be out there as much as possible against Quinn Hughes. But I think the matchup that you're going to want to see is you're going to want to have Quinn Hughes out there with a lotto line, right? Because that's what we're going to want to see the Canucks yeah. dominate with. Um, that's what they're going to have to lean on a whole bunch this series. We saw Travis Green kind of adjust his defense group a little bit, and especially when the old Levy uh, jumped into game four there, like he really had to, you know, coach. Like he had to work probably real tight with Nolan Baumgartner and just say like, we need to work this defense core in the best way possible. And we saw that, you know, with, with Tyler Myers and Quinn Hughes coming out in offensive zone face-offs. We saw a little mix of, of Alex Edler playing a little bit with Troy Stetcher at off the fly stuff. But then right back, we would see, you know, Tyler Myers jump in with an Alex Edler in certain situations. Like there was, there was a lot of good coaching done by Travis Green. Um, and I thought that some of the stuff that we saw from him was pretty good because that kind of, that's been a question of me all year long. Like, Travis Green has a pretty damn good team in front of him here, right? Like, and I just, I feel like if you have a really good coach that can bring your team to the next level, that's something that this Canucks team kind of needs. And I've, I've been questioning Travis Green for a long time. I was just, I thought I was really impressed with what he did later on in this wild series. Um, But to get back to Quinn Hughes a little bit, 
I mean, like this, the president's been said, I mean, the St. Louis Blues can get in on the forecheck. They basically just know how to wear down a defenseman. And as a rookie defenseman, Quinn Hughes, I'm curious, like, how confident are you? Like, you sound pretty damn confident, but how confident are you? Like, are you worried at all that the St. Louis Blues team is going to be able to disrupt them? Because they did it in the past and they continue to do it all season long this year as well. So while you were talking there, I just thought of something. Do you remember a few weeks back on this very show how I was telling you that the Wilds forecheck is so elite and when I was watching game tape of them against Quinn Hughes, like they were solving Quinn Hughes with no problem. Like their forecheck was also really disrupting Quinn Hughes and I haven't looked at the Corsi numbers. I'd be lying if I said I did. But I remember saying multiple times that Quinn Hughes struggled against the Wild this year and the Wild had a good forecheck. We saw it in the series. Like the Wild forecheck was no slouch. Right, mm. But the Canucks are a well-coached team. I'm sure they've been shown ample amount of video on this forecheck. And, the, uh, of course, the Wilds forecheck, but on the St. Louis forecheck, right? Like, this is another hard forechecking team. And Quinn Hughes, yes, he struggled in the regular season against the Wild as well, right? So you bring up that he struggled against the Blues. Well, what did he do against the Wild, right? He was well-prepared. He's elite enough of a player to overcome stuff like that, right? And, I mean, that's where I think this confidence that I have comes from. Uh, Well, I have. The confidence I have in Hughes being able to overcome this comes from is, yes, he struggled against the Wild, but... He also is a confident enough player to overcome that. He's smart enough to overcome that. And I think we're going to see that against the against the Blues. I, I really do. Like, you know, I, I'm just, I don't think of all the things to worry about with this team going into this series, I don't think Quinn Hughes should be at anybody's like top of the top of the list. Right. And, and you know, that's something that I kind of like, I wrote an article that Quinn Hughes wasn't his regular self against the Blues this year. Um, and the way that I kind of finished it was, you know, analytics tell a lot of the story. The eye test tells the other part of the story, but neither part of that story is moving into the future, right? I mean, like, yes, it tells what you have seen in the past, but things change and you can't really predict exactly what's going to happen. I think that I would not bet against Quinn Hughes. I'm with you there. Like, I wouldn't bet against this kid at all. I think he's one of the one of the premier defensemen in the NHL, and I think he's going to be one of the best guys in this series. I think he's going to be one of the best guys in this playoffs, honestly. I mean, he's, he's second right now in assists. Through the postseason, uh, which is incredible to see from Quinn Hughes. That's out of all players, by the way. Um, he's there's only one player with six assists. Quinn Hughes has five, so that's a very impressive stat for him. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not worried, but I do think that there is a chance that the Blues Blues forecheck is going to be a lot to handle. But I am interested to see how Quinn Hughes is able to break that. And you know, is it going to be something that's going to rely a lot on Chris Tanev as well? Or if we see Quinn Hughes out there with Tyler Myers, is that where the pressure is going to be too much for them? So uh, we will have to see what happens with that for sure. But I do think that's something to keep an eye on because that got the St. Louis Blues to the Stanley Cup final last year. They they wore down defense cores. That's what they did. They made their way to the Stanley Cup final, ended up winning because of that. So uh, we'll see how they do in an actual playoff series. But you're right. You talked about it earlier. I mean, this Canucks team is riding such an emotional high that I, I think they're excited more than anyone to just get this series going right now. Uh, and speaking of excited, I know you're excited to talk about this next one. Uh, Nikita Triampkin played a hell of a game the other day, Quads. Yeah, so... <laughs> Look okay. good. I'm just saying. I actually I actually do want to talk about Nikita Triampkin because you know, I've said it before, like people people know I'm the I'm the Triampkin doubter. And here's something that I find kind of interesting, right? Like when Triampkin was being coached in the NHL, right? Like they were looking at development, right? And 
if Triumphant stayed, I have no doubt that he could have become a pretty good player for the Canucks, right? Like they were working on parts of his game that he just didn't didn't pay attention to in the KHL. And Triumphant said this himself. Like, you know, as much as I like to rag on him and, you know, it's become a bit of a meme at this point, in all seriousness, like let's look at what this guy is, right? When he was 21 with the Canucks or 22, whatever it was, the Canucks were really focusing. They showed him the Chris Pronger video, which is just some absolute great Canucks lore. But they wanted Ugh. him to become a certain player right like even if he didn't become that player because that wasn't really his play style they wanted to work on his skating they wanted to play to his strengths at times right like that's what they wanted to do they wanted to develop this guy the right way and Triumkin said that like if I had stayed in Vancouver I probably could have become a better player like that's something he has said himself right and I'm not misquoting him there that's in an athletic article I could hyperlink it if this was an article and not a podcast but that's what he said he said that he could have become they wanted to develop him the right way, right? And that didn't happen when he went to the KHL. Now he has Bill Peters, right? And, you know, we remember Bill Peters. He's not a great dude, but, you know, the KHL doesn't care, right? So now Bill yeah. Peters is the head coach there, right? Now Triamkin's playing power play. He's playing penalty kill. And he's also playing on the left side, Um, you know, Typically, he was playing on the right side despite being a left-handed D-man. You know, when... He was the on the first pair at 5-on-5 five five as well yes, in, that, in the exactly. previous game we just saw. So now he's being given more of a role. Can he now use that as kind of a, that boost of confidence? And I think, you know, as much as Bill Peters is a piece of, you know, whatever, I, I, I won't get into Bill Peters too much. He is an NHL coach, right? Like, Bill Peters, at his core, is an NHL coach. Like, he knows how to win. He... He he's going to coach Triumkin in a way that I think is also going to help his development. And I mean, I can't speak too much of the Avtomobilist uh, head coach of past years, but they weren't playing Triumkin in a way that was showing that, yes, this guy can be an NHL D-man. But now, Triumkin gets one year, right? Like, his his, his contract with uh, Avtomobilist is one year, right? Yeah. Okay, so he has this season now to prove me, everybody else in this market, prove, you know, uh, people, different people. I, I, I was, I'm trying to watch my words here, but different people that doubt him, right? And there's a lot of them. He has a chance to prove that no, I can, I can put away what happened in the past years. I can be better. I can be somebody that puts in a lot of effort because effort's always been the question with Triumphkin, right? I can be this guy. Like I can be a legitimate bottom pairing in the NHL. He hasn't shown that yet. He just hasn't. He hasn't. And maybe it's because he hasn't been given the opportunity. But again, when you look at why that opportunity wasn't given, it was because his coach said, I have four guys who work harder than him. And again, that's just not going to fly with Travis Green. But from what we've heard and what Travis has said, he's had good conversations with Triumphkin, right? And Mm -hmm. they've they've talked about it. And I mean, you know, Travis Green's not somebody that's just going to gift ice time to anybody. And now you look at that left side blue line, right? Like, are the Canucks going to play him on the right side? There's not much of a precedent of tri- or sorry of Green playing defensemen on their offsides, right? Like, there's not much of a precedence. We've heard time and time again, Jordy Ben's better on his right side for whatever reason, but he doesn't play that with the Canucks. He plays the left side. He's played it. I think he had one game where he played on the right side, and it was because somebody was hurt. And I mean, yeah. you know, if if that's what we're looking at, and Triumphkin's now playing on the left side, that's right. That's perfect for the Canucks. If they're looking at this guy as a legitimate option, 
this is perfect for the Canucks. They get to really see what he can do in an advanced role. Like, Triamkin, simply put, needs to be better at the KHL level for anybody to actually suggest that he's going to be even an effective bottom-pairing defender at the NHL level, right? Like, he has to excel at the KHL level. He can't just float out there. He can't just be a non-factor like he was in the past two seasons that that can't be the case and then you come harping and telling me that yes this is somebody the Canucks needs to target like you know when he got rocked in that clip that you sent me or you posted on Twitter when he got rocked I was like oh my gosh who's number two on that team like the Canucks need this guy on their bottom pairing (laughs) it's like you know it's just it's just frustrating because people weren't watching him they weren't seeing what he could do and they were just saying like oh yeah he's he's great he's gonna be great on the bottom pairing but he didn't magically get better, or sorry, get worse at hockey over the pandemic. So it was so funny because I, I, I have receipts. When I was saying all this stuff, and I've been I've been beating this drum since December, saying the Canucks would be wise to avoid this guy. Like, this is not somebody they want right now. Like, he's not going to be a factor for them next year immediately. He's just not. When I was saying that, all these people coming at me being like, oh, shut up, blah, 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 whatever. I won't even get into what they said about me or what they said to me. I won't get into it. But then I tweet out, Oh, Canucks dodged a major bullet here. They're all same people replying, being like, "Oh yeah, I agreed. Jim Benning's so smart." I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Back up. Hold on. So funny to me that these people that were just going at me for months, telling me you don't know what you're talking about. Triumph gets fantastic. The BFG. This is going to be a difference maker. Soon as he can't get signed because of cap reasons, they're on board with my take. And I was just like, wow. Okay. Now all of a sudden I'm the voice of the positivity crew, which I have been in this episode, I think. And there's my positive take on Triamkin. It would be awesome for the Canucks if he could come back, have a great season in the KHL and earn a contract and really show them that, Hey, I belong in the NHL and I belong on a bottom pairing for me. He didn't do that last year. No, and the situation that's coming now after the season that he's going to play in the KHL, like, I know we've heard it a few times, but this is now the perfect situation for Triamkin to come in and play next year for the Vancouver Canucks. Not this next season that's going to come up, but the year after that, after Absolutely. his KHL season's over, the 2021-22 season, you're going to have Alex Edler's contract off the books. You're going to have Jordy Ben's contract off the books. You're going to have Oscar Fantenberg's contract, you know, a year past from being off the books. So there is going to be openings. I mean, specifically looking at Jordy Ben and looking at uh, Alex Edler, you're going to have to see what Jack Rathbone can do. You're going to have to see what Ole Levy can do. Those guys are going to be fitting in to be on your second pairing, you know, after we see Quinn Hughes be the first pairing guy of the future. You're not going to, you know, maybe you have Edler for another year or two, but that'll be interesting to see if Edler keeps playing after his contract's up because, that's going to open up a door for a guy like Triampkin. And, you know, you mentioned it. He's playing for Bill Peters. That's an NHL coach. Say what you want about Bill Peters. He's a garbage human being, but he's also an NHL coach. And he's coaching in the KHL right now. He's going to maybe speak some English to Triampkin, maybe help him talk a little bit of English. Uh, I saw Bill Peters doing his intermission talks. He was speaking English to his translator. Um, and, yeah, I just, you know, I, I wanted to highlight him because he had a good game. Uh, he was playing first pairing minutes. He was has an A back on his chest now. Um, he was, like I said, he was killing penalties. He scored a, he did what Triampkin does best and ices the puck. Uh, but he happened to hit an empty net, uh, which was good. So he scored a goal. Don't look at the stats. This is the problem. People are going to see the stats and they're going to be like, Oh, he scored a goal. He must be doing good. It was a 200 foot empty net goal. So don't worry about that. that He did get knocked over. Yeah, it, it's tough, I guess. But um, you mentioned him, bottom pairing guy. Uh, let's talk about the Canucks bottom pairing a little bit because Jordy Ben has now returned to the bubble. Uh, and I believe he's only a couple days away. I don't think he's eligible for game one. 
but he is should be eligible for game two as long as he yep. tests um, negative, I guess, on a few of his first tests here. Yep, that's my understanding. He has to quarantine for four days. He has to take a test every day for those four days, and all of those tests have to come back negative before he can play um, or train with the team, for that matter. He's not training with the team right now. He's skating on his own, as far as I as far as I understand of the situation. Um, so yeah, like you know, you look at the positive results, and I mean, sorry, there was no positive results, which is a positive result for the NHL as a whole in their return to play efforts. So you yeah. hope that a guy coming outside, uh, coming from outside the bubble. Coming from the States, you know, you hope that because he was in a hospital and because he was, you know, in a place where COVID, they're trying to contain it. And I'm sure he was very careful when he was out there. I'm sure he wasn't just, you know, walking into Starbucks with no mask on and just being like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to grab a coffee here right before the birth of my child. Like, I'm sure Jordy Ben was careful, understanding the risk that he posed coming back to the bubble of him. Well, he's a good island teammates. boy. He's smart. He's, he's an smart. island boy. He knows what he's talking about. Oh man, you brought up he's an island boy. Wow. I, I don't know if I trust him anymore. He's a good island boy. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyways, I mean, yeah, so like let's talk about the bottom pairing because, you know, I, I did a shift by shift analysis of Ollie O'Levy's six minutes of play in that game against the Wild. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying, like, oh man, he can he can be great on that third pairing. He was awesome. But okay, here's the thing. He played six minutes, right? And he was being flanked by Troy Stetcher. He played a couple shifts with Tyler Myers. Uh, I think he had a shift with Chris Tanev, maybe one. Uh, but again, like, Oli Olevi was not regularly in that lineup, right? Like, he was... Yeah. The only reason he played was because Fantenberg was unfit to play, whatever the hell that means, right? And, I mean, how convenient is it that all of the unfit to plays have been to players that the Canucks, except for Toffoli, of course, have been to players that the Canucks, you could see them scratching anyway, right? Like, Fantenberg... Yeah. Uh, Gaudet after that first game is unfit to play, and I mean, and they took the pregame skate. Fantenberg took the pregame exactly. skate the day that Yulevi played. Adam Gaudet took the pregame skate in Game Three. Like, it, you know, it was an interesting situation with both those guys being unfit. Yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe there's some quadfather work going on behind the scene. You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe you you you're telling them to be unfit to play. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. Like Matt Sakaris is already <laughs> Matt Sakaris is beating that drum. Everybody can just go look at his reporting. He's on he's on top of that situation. But what I do want to say is, you know, ideally you don't have to play your levy over Fantenberg and I'll tell you why. Fantenberg played 12 minutes. That was like his average, I think, average ice time uh, when he was in the lineup, which brought Quinn Hughes down to about 22 minutes. Then you look at what happened when Yolevi played. Yolevi plays about six minutes of ice time. All of a sudden, Quinn Hughes is almost logging 30 minutes. And that's just not something you want to make him do over the course of a seven-game playoff series. And, you know, suggesting that the Canucks can go on any kind of run here, you really don't want to be making Quinn Hughes play that amount of minutes each and every night, right? Like, this is going to be a grueling series against the Blues, no doubt about it. He was able to do it for one game to get the job done, and now he's got ample time to rest. But again, like... This is not something you want to do every night. Like, I, I in my mind, Yolevi hasn't earned a spot on the bottom pairing in the mind of the coaching staff, right? Like, I, I, I just don't see them playing Yolevi over Fantenberg uh, if given the option. I, I yeah, I agree with you. I mean, a lot there was a lot of hype for Yolevi. I mean, it's the guy's first game. He's a first round pick, fifth overall. Obviously, there's a lot of hype around him when he does make his debut. It was good, you know. He stepped in; he was fine. Like I, I tweeted out, there wasn't a shot on goal when he was on the ice in his six minutes. Good for him. Killed some penalties as well. Had a minute of penalty killing time. I just, 
I, I look at the playoffs, I look at Travis Green's setup, and, and I think that Yolevi's fine if Fantenberg and Jordy Ben are not fit to play, or if they start to play like crap, honestly. Like, if you are seeing Fantenberg play, you know, 13, 14 minutes, I mean, the guy averaged just under 16 minutes throughout the season when he did play. So, I mean, we're not going to see that in the playoffs, but I think we're going to see him around 12, 13 minutes. If his game really drops, like if he's playing with Tyler Myers and that pairing looks like ass, it's not the worst idea to jump in and throw Ole Levy in. I mean, if he played good in six minutes, maybe he plays fine in eight minutes. And, you know, go from there, maybe he plays good in ten minutes. And then you're looking at a guy that can maybe fit in on your third pairing. But for now, you you can't throw him in immediately to play 13, 14 minutes. Yeah, and like absolutely. you mentioned, that's going to hurt Quinn Hughes, right? That's going to be making Quinn Hughes play more minutes, which is also good. Like, I, I think Quinn Hughes is going to have to be around 26 minutes a game. Uh, throughout this series. I think he's going to be in the 25. I think 25 to 26 is where we're going to see him over the first few games for sure. And yeah, that's going to be a lot of weight to put on this kid, especially when you have a back-to-back coming off of this game. Uh, I believe it's Thursday, Friday. Is it the back-to-back or is it Friday, Saturday? No, Thursday, Friday, the Saturday. No, Sunday, Monday is the back-to-back uh, games for the Vancouver Canucks. So, I mean, if you're playing him upwards of 50 minutes over two games, back-to-back days, that's going to be a lot on Quinn Hughes. So I'm curious to see what they do, but if that pairing starts to slack at all, you know, if Jordy Ben's not looking good, if Oscar Fanberg's not looking good, it's not the worst idea, I think, to go and give Ole Levy 10 minutes of ice time to see what he does. And then if he doesn't look good, you go right back to Fantenberg. You know, it's it's still just a third pairing. It's probably the least amount of ice time you're going to see from defenseman is that guy playing the left side on the third pairing because – that's just the way it is with the way that this lineup's built and the way that the penalty killers are going to be built. Like I would be fine to see a little bit more of Olya Levy on the penalty kill. Maybe as a second group guy, I think that he might be a better use there than we've seen with Troy Stetcher. But then again, like I need to see your Levy battle against NHL competition because he's an excellent penalty killer at the AHL level. Uh, the AHL to the NHL is a huge jump. No matter how close a lot of people see, you can ask Reed Boucher. It's a huge jump to make. Um, but I do, I would, I wouldn't hate to see it, but it would have to take some slacking from Fattenberg. I'm not going to jump in the camp that I see a lot of people uh, talking about right now saying Yo Levy should be in the lineup right now. I I, I just I, I haven't seen enough bad play from Oscar Fattenberg yet yeah. to get to that point. And that's the thing. Like I think I've become a bit of a believer in Yo Levy. Like I think I've you know I see some people that are really overconfident, but they've been overconfident even when he was playing like crap in the AHL. And I mean. That's fair, but, like, I I have this opinion because I've watched him so closely at camp, right? Like, I was keeping a very, very close eye on him. And even that game against the Wild, like, I was doing that shift-by-shift report of every shift he played, right? So, I was watching every time he was on the ice, and I was being very, like looking at his knee, looking at all this stuff, like, how is his defensive zone coverage? Like, I was really watching him really closely, and that's why I've become a bit of a believer. Like, he looked fine in that game, right? But I'm totally with you, like... There's no way that you can suggest that Yolevi should be in the lineup over yeah. Fattenberg right now because just the trickle-down effect that that has on Quinn Hughes and even Alex Edler, right? Like, Alex Edler's getting up there in age. He can still eat big minutes for you, but you don't want to play Quinn Hughes 30 minutes a night. You just, you don't. Not going into a yeah. series. And again, you know, you said it. Yolevi playing against NHL competition and especially a team like the Blues and you talk about the penalty kill, you know, Killing penalties in the AHL is very different than killing penalties against one of the best power plays in the NHL in the St. Louis Blues, right? Like, it's very different. And, I mean, do you want to throw your levy in that situation? I say no. Not yet. 
Yeah, it's a lot to take in for him right now. The only the thing I want to just close out with you, Levy, before we get to the next thing was good for him to be on the bench and see the Canucks win that game, game four. You know, like if he is going to be a part of this Canucks team moving forward, I think that's a huge moment that we're going to see because that that moment to me is turning the corner right now for this Canucks team to being a playoff team because it literally did. It was the moment that made them a playoff team. Now it's the first time we're going to see this core in the playoffs, and I think having your Levy on the bench for that, being able to celebrate with the team, like you could even see him in that picture jumping up and celebrating. Like th- I think that's just awesome to have Ole Levy on the Absolutely. bench for that, playing in a game. So uh, we'll wrap up the Levy talk there. We'll see what happens with the bottom pairing. I don't know what would you expect to see Levy in one game if we go seven games against the Blues? Oh, for sure. Yeah, over I've, under. Yeah, you would take like, him at one. I'd say he's gonna play over one for sure. I'd say he might really? even play. Two. I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think so. You don't think so, eh? Well, not with Jordy Ben coming back. I don't think. Mm, yeah, you know what? I didn't even take that into consideration. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's a good point, actually. But we'll see. Yeah, but it, it's know. gonna take an injury or two, right, well, to get him in there. How long is it gonna take Jordy Ben to get his legs under him? Right. Yeah, that's like, true too. Jordy Ben didn't look great at camp, my friend. He didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't yeah. see much. Did you? You were there no, too. We'll have to see there. And yeah, I mean, Travis Green saw a lot of Ole Levy. So yep. uh, yeah, I would, maybe he does get into one game. You know, it, it's it's definitely gonna be something we'll keep an eye on. Uh, one thing we're going to have to keep an eye on for sure throughout this series is the X-Factors quads. Uh, I'm wondering if you want to give, I'll start with mine actually. I'll give you my one from each team. Um, I'm going to start with the Canucks. I'm going to say Quinn Hughes is going to be the X factor for them. Um, depending it's not a, you know, it's not a huge stretch or a hot take really, but the way that I'm looking at Quinn Hughes being the X factor is looking what the St. Louis blues did to him in the regular season and looking what the St. Louis blues did to teams in the playoffs last year. Quinn Hughes is going to have to be good. He's going to have to be good at moving the puck. He's going to be have to be good at shaking away from four checkers. And I think he's going to have to be excellent. I think he's going to, like I said earlier, he's going to have to play around 26 minutes a game. Like he's going to be out there a lot, uh, playing a lot of hockey with different partners. He's going to be out there with Chris Tanev a lot, but he's also going to be out there with Tyler Myers um, at times in the offensive zone. And then my X factor player for the St. Louis Blues is going to be Vlad Tarasenko. He's he's coming back from injury. He played 10 games in the regular season. He's only played one game in exhibition so far. If he's good, if he plays like up to his potential, if he's healthy, he can be an extremely impactful player for a team that was already one of the best teams in the NHL in the regular season without him. Uh, and you throw Tarasenko in there, it's it's a scary it's scary to see what that lineup can do. And especially you look at the power play. If they were already the third best power play in the league, according to goals per 60, you add Vladimir Tarasenko in there, who can be one of the elite scorers in the NHL. Uh, it's it's a scary thought to think of, uh, for sure. So those are my two X-Factor players uh, in this series. Who do you got, Quads? I got Louis Erickson and oh, Jake geez. Allen. No, I'm just kidding. I, that, that was a joke. <laughs> Jake Allen, you Jeez. know what? It's, it's funny to mention, Jake Allen started the last game for the Blues. Uh, against Dallas, he started that game. I don't know if Bennington was unfit to play or if they just wanted to rest him after giving up six goals, I think it was, in the game prior to that. No, Bennington's going to start this series, and he's going to be good for the Blues for sure. Um, you know, my real X factor, I think, is going to be Elias Pettersson. You know, we've seen the success he has against the Blues. I think he has something to prove. Uh, he doesn't like Jordan Bennington, I don't think. Like, <laughs> hearing these comments, like, we know how this stuff drives Elias Pettersson, right? Like, and I think he was just on the cusp of dominance. Like, he is not at his peak yet in the playoffs. And he played so well in that series against Minnesota. I think it's going to be Elias Pettersson. You know, I think it's a given that Quinn Hughes is going to be awesome. Uh, I think it's going to be Elias Pettersson. I'd say maybe JT Miller, maybe Brock Besser. Like, I'm looking at this lotto line, and I really like what I'm seeing. And I think, you know, heading into this series, there's a lot of confidence throughout the whole team. 
And yeah, I, I think I think you might see something good come out of Elias Pettersson in this series. For the Blues, I'm going to go Braden Shen. I think he's just going to be somebody that the Canucks need to keep their eye on. And I think, you know, like you said, on the power play, he's effective. I think Braden Shen's going to be the X factor for the Blues. Yeah, Braden Shen, also very good numbers against the lotto line. So if they do tend to go with that matchup uh, against the lotto line, that's a scary thought. But I do think that they... You know, I think that the Blues analytics staff is going to be saying, hey, let's let's put the O'Reilly line against the Horvat line. Let's put the Shen line against the Pedersen line. Uh, but if it's if it's swapped, like if the Pedersen line is going up against the O'Reilly line, I really like that matchup. Um, but like you said, Shen could be a real X factor for shutting down that lotto line because that, that had a lot of success this year. Um, and the way that Shen's line is going to look right now, um, Vladimir Tarasenko did play there in the exhibition game. So if he's playing on that line with Jaden Schwartz, that's a, that's, you know, you're throwing some of your most skilled players up against the lotto line. It is something that you kind of talked about, uh, near the end of the year. There is possibly the Pedersen line going up against the other team's top line. Even though Ryan O'Reilly's probably their best player, I would say that that Shen Tarasenko Schwartz line would be their number one scoring line. So, uh, that could be a huge matchup and we'll see how that one kind of plays out. Um, so yeah, there's our X factors for the series. And I guess we'll wrap this thing up now, quads, by giving our predictions. Uh, why don't you give your prediction first? What do you got? Who's winning? And uh, in how many games? I am really hoping Canucks in four because uh, wow. <laughs> I'm I'm not predicting this. I'm really hoping that's the case because, as you know, I'm going to uh, my little vacation on uh, mm. Monday. So that's going to be the first day that I'm gone for the next 10 days. So I would be coming back like during game two of the next round, right? And right. it would be fantastic if I could just kind of actually unplug while I'm away. Uh, and really just enjoy my vacation. But, you know, I'm fully prepared to watch all the games and make sure I know what I'm talking about because we're still going to be doing the show during that time. Uh, But it'd be great if we're talking about a sweep in one week's time. Uh, You know, what do I actually think is going to happen? I'm confident in the Canucks. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, were more confident with them against the Wild. I'm confident with them against the Blues. And I know, you know, I've been really positive on this podcast this week. Um... But, you know, I'll, I'll say Canucks in seven. Canucks in seven? Wow, I thought you were saying positive here. I thought you were going to go five. Oh, come on. Actually, okay, you know what? Canucks I'll go Canucks seven. in six. I'll go Canucks in six. You're right. Uh, okay. Canucks in six. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm i I'm confident that the Canucks are in a good spot right now. I think that, like you mentioned, we talked about it throughout the show, the emotional high that they're on going up against what the Blues' emotional low is right now. I, I do like the Canucks. Um, I do like the Canucks in game one. Um, from there, it's going to be interesting to see how the Blues bounce back. I think the Blues end up winning game two after learning from their mistakes in game one. Um, but I, I'm going to go Canucks in seven. Um, I think that they're going to win. In, I think this is going to be a back four series. I really think the Blues are going to have a couple games this series where they they click on all ends. Their four checks tough. They score a couple power play goals, and that's how they won a lot of games throughout the season. So um, I do think this Blues team is a strong team. Um, they match up pretty well against the Canucks in certain situations, especially their defense. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to go Blues. Or sorry, I'm going to go Canucks in seven, but I really think the Blues are going to give them a push, and it's going to come down to a big goaltending battle uh, between Jordan Bennington and Jacob Markstrom because, yeah, like, we haven't talked about him much this episode, but you know Jordan Bennington had a really good uh, sophomore season as well. So I, I mean, he's no he's no joke of a goaltender like uh, like Jim Carrey was, who won the Calder Trophy. So I mean, like we'll we'll be interested to see what happens here. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Canucks in seven. I think it's gonna be a tight series, though. What did you say about Jim Carrey winning the Calder? The Calder winner, Jim Carrey, who had one season, won the Calder, and faded into nothing. What? What? I've never heard of this. 
Really? Never heard of Jim Carrey? I've heard of the Jim Carrey the actor. Yeah, no, there was a there was a player named Jim Carrey who also won the Calder. What? Wow. Yeah. I had no I idea. I don't think he ever had another bounce back season after that at all. Sounds like Jim Carrey's career. No, I'm just kidding. That's so mean. Jim <laughs> Carrey was much. awesome in the Ace Ventura movies. Those are my... Oh, like, yeah, yeah. He was I excellent. love those movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so sorry. Anyway. Runner up for the Calder in 1994-95 season, Jim Carrey. Uh, goaltender for the Washington Capitals. He actually won the Vesna in his second year. Played what? 71 games for the Washington Capitals. 35 wins, 24 losses, 9 ties. Uh, yeah, he won the Vesna. He was an all-star. He was 8th in heart voting that year. Um, and then he completely fell off. Uh, ended up having some losing seasons uh, when he bounced through Washington and Boston. And he was out of the league at age 25. Wow. So, a very interesting career. If you didn't know about Jim Carrey, the goaltender, uh, who was, yeah, the runner-up for the Calder. He was third in Vesna voting in his rookie season. Ended up winning the Vesna in 95-96. So the more you know here on the Canucks Conversation. I believe that wraps it up. Um, a lot of exciting stuff for us coming up on Canucks Army over the week. I wrote four articles on Tuesday, so that's going to be coming or on Monday afternoon. I think I just sat down and wrote straight for like eight hours. Lots of articles coming out. Quad's got his mailbag out there as well. Um, and we're just excited to have playoff hockey to write about. So follow along in Canucks Army. Um, follow along with both of us on Twitter. We'll be tweeting up a storm. And we're just excited to get to uh, Wednesday's, Wednesday's game one against the St. Louis Blues. Quad's got anything to add before we close out? No, I'm just so excited. Like this is this is this is fun. I must say, I'm really glad they won that game. Yeah, this is fun for sure. For David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.